Good morning, and welcome to the Revelation Power Podcast. I'm author and host Kevin Hopkins, and today we continue our discussion in the 19th chapter of Revelation. Now, the 19th chapter is really significant because it starts with the proclamation of the fall of Babylon, and then it continues with the revelation of Christ, the rider on the white horse, who's going to do battle against all the forces of evil uh, that had been gathering, remember, at Armageddon for the final conflict. So now in the last part of chapter 19, beginning in verse 17, we're going to see that conflict. Remember where we are. We are still in heaven. We are still looking at what's going on spiritually in heaven. We haven't been transported back to the earth. John has just seen the white horse and its rider standing in heaven because heaven was wide open to him. The scene doesn't change. Just this statement in verse 17. Here's how it starts. Then I saw an angel standing on the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midheaven. Come, gather together at the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, of the mighty, of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, great and common. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to wage war against the one mounted on the white horse and his armies. But the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who had performed miracles on his behalf. With these signs he had deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped its iconic image. The two of them were hurled alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest were slain with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. And I saw an angel descending from heaven, holding the key to the abyss on an immense chain in his hand. He seized the dragon, that ancient snake, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss, slammed the door, and locked it over him to keep him from leading the nations astray anymore until the thousand years were completed. After that, he must be released for a short period. It's probably one of the more quizzical sections of Scripture in the entire Bible, let alone in the book of Revelation. It starts with an angel standing on the sun. Remember all of the references that you've learned to this point in the book of Revelation because they're all going to come flooding back now. I think the Holy Spirit's intention through John was to serve up one symbolism at a time through the early chapters of the book so that anyone reading the book would get used to what each of those symbolisms stood for so that when he gets to this important part, probably the most important part, and the symbolisms come flooding in, we know exactly how to read them. We know exactly what they mean. 
So here, I saw an angel standing on the sun. If he stands on the sun, what's going to happen to his feet? They're going to melt. They're going to melt. Back to the very first vision that John saw in the book of Revelation. His feet were like bronze in a furnace, molten bronze. His feet were on fire. And what did we say that meant? It meant they were bringing truth. That what he brought was ultimate truth. Now here's an angel who stands with his feet on the sun. The greatest source of light anybody knows. The sun. He's bringing light, which is revelation. He's bringing truth. The feet on fire. He's bringing light and truth. And he cries out in a loud voice to the birds in mid-heaven. Remember the three levels of heaven? The first is the atmosphere around this world. The second heaven is the place where there are stars and planets and all the heavenly beings. And the third heaven is where God lives with all of the angels and the creatures in heaven. He's crying out to mid-heaven. There aren't any birds in space. But these aren't birds, remember? He said about the fall of Babylon, your city will never be inhabited again, and it will become the haunt of every unclean bird and beast. And, and the symbolism was every kind of demonic spirit. This isn't a call to feathered birds. This is a call to all the demonic spirits. Get ready. Come and join us. You're going to get to feast on your own because that's what they do, right? The beast that the woman rode upon turned and devoured her. Evil feasts on itself. It eats itself. And so this mighty angel is saying, get ready. It's almost time to eat yourself. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth. This is that first beast that came up out of the ocean out of the abyss and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to wage war against the one mounted on the white horse and his armies. Okay. So here's the beast who rose up out of the ocean to be the governmental earthly representation of the real evil, which is the dragon governments. They gather armies and they've gathered all their people and all their resources to fight against whom? Is this a physical battle? No, it's a battle against the rider on the white horse who's in heaven and his armies that are in heaven. It's a spiritual battle against everything that's right and everything that's true. It's what earthly governments do. You can't point to one that has ever existed on the face of the earth, even if they started with the purest of intentions, who hasn't turned out to make war against what's right and what's righteous and against God. Not even our own. Again, I told you a few rep episodes back, we do not live in a Christian nation. Started on Christian principles? Yes. How long did it live by those principles? Days? Weeks? Not long before we started compromising them. And with every, every day, they got more compromised. Until today, I challenge you to look at the government of the United States of America and find any place where God's righteousness is the standard. It doesn't exist. 
My friends say, oh, I wish they would teach the Bible in school. No, no, I don't want them to teach the Bible in school. I don't want them to teach God in school. They'll screw it up. They'll take it over. They'll curriculize it. They'll outline it. They'll they'll put their agenda into it. And they'll force God to say all kinds of things that God would never say. They do that on television weekly. Someone gets on TV and says, Oh, God wouldn't put up with this. This isn't godly. God would do this. And it's not anything close to anything God would do. I mean, honestly, the last president, this president, they're all the time talking about God and what God wants. This last week, this president said that oil companies were richer than God himself. That's a lie. It's an absolute lie. God owns everything. It's all his. Oil companies don't even come close. Oil companies don't even make what Apple makes. Apple is richer than oil companies themselves. And Apple doesn't hold a candle to what God has. They just lie. And they misrepresent God and the righteous things of God. And people buy into it. It's what governments do. This is not a Christian government. This is not a Christian nation. It has Christians in it. And most of us who are Christian wish that those were the values that did run this country, but they're not. They're probably not going to be. Does that mean you shouldn't elect Christian leaders every chance you get? Absolutely not. It's the only influence we have left against all the evil that floods this nation every day. They gather to make war against the rider on the white horse because it's what they do. It's a spiritual battle. It's been going on from time eternal, and it goes on to this day. Verse 20, but the beast was captured. But the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who had performed miracles on the beast's behalf. With signs and wonders, with those very miracles, he had deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped its iconic image. The two of them, the beast and the false prophet, were hurled alive into the lake of burning sulfur. The governmental compromise, the governmental unrighteousness, the religious structure, unrighteousness, all thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur alive. This is the one place in the Bible where the afterlife punishment, at least for these two, is shown as a burning lake of fire. Jesus referenced one time that people would be sentenced to a place where the fire never goes out. That's a little bit different, right? Gehenna is a different place. It's where the trash was disposed of, where the fire smoldered all the time. It would have been a miserable, ugly place. This is a lake of burning sulfur on fire. And it is the punishment spot for these two characters and them alone, really. Except that story where Jesus says, depart from me into the, into the place prepared for the devil because I was hungry and you didn't give me anything to eat. I was thirsty. You gave me nothing to drink, right? That could be the same place. Doesn't, he doesn't explicitly say that, but it's the place prepared for the devil. But these aren't the devil. These are the people in government and the people in religion doing his work. They get their judgment. 
The rest were slain with what? With the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse. All the rest, all the other armies, all the people, all the spirits, every influence was slain by the word. What were the two witnesses that went into the world? The word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ from the church. The word of God and the testimony of the church. God's two witnesses on this earth. And it is the word that wins the ultimate battle every time and will win the ultimate final battle. There isn't even a fight. These guys, they don't stand a chance. They came against God, but they didn't even know what they were fighting against. And the sword of his word cut them to pieces before they ever got to raise their weapons of any kind. They're insignificant. They didn't stand a chance. They didn't have a prayer because they wouldn't pray. And the, and the birds gorged themselves on the flesh. The, demon, the demonic spirits, the demons, every unclean spirit and influence just made itself fat, ate its own. And I saw an angel descending from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the abyss on an immense chain. He seized the dragon. I mean, I picture this in my mind by the throat. An angel, not God, just an angel, seized the dragon and hurled him into the abyss, slammed the door on top of him, and locked it solid. Who is that dragon? He's the devil and Satan. He is the ancient snake. And what happens to him? He gets bound up in the abyss. A chain across the door and a lock on the chain and he is bound. To keep him from leading the nations astray anymore until a thousand years were completed. He will be bound for a thousand years. Now we go back to the symbolisms that we've learned to this point. Is it a literal thousand years? No, it's a long time. It's a long, long time. Now, it's interesting to me to look at the history of the world from a, from a purely historical perspective. And, and I want you to think with me about after that, he must be released for a short period. What would release him? Because the Bible says that what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you release on earth will be released in heaven. Meaning, whatever you accomplish in this world is accomplished at the same time in heaven, just as surely as it is here. When you speak... The book of Ephesians has several instances where it says that you speak into the heavenly realms. Just, just do a word search for heavenly realms in the book of Ephesians and see what you find. It'll blow you away. That what you and I speak on this earth is spoken in the same moment into the spiritual world, into the heavenly realms, and it has affect. And it yields an effect. God doesn't bind things up with faulty knots. He doesn't tie the devil up so that the devil can get loose. He, he ties him to stay. God's knots aren't bad. So what is it that releases the devil? 
This reference goes all the way back, I think, to the very first chapter of the Bible, to the story of creation, where where the Bible says that the world was in chaos, that everything was chaos. And, And the Spirit of God nestled down into the chaos, over the deep, is how it says it in some English translations over the chaos, and and God from that position, nestled into the middle of it, begins to speak boundaries on the chaos, begins to create light apart from darkness. They can't be any part of each other because they're separations. They are boundaries on the chaos. He creates dry from, from wet, ground from water. They're not part of each other because they are boundaries. He sets boundaries on the water, on the chaos. He creates a world surrounded on every side as though it were a sphere of peace in an ocean of chaos. But he bounds the chaos so that it has to stay out. And then what happens? And then the humans that he gave dominion over that that little kingdom sinned. And what happened? a bit of chaos began to leak back in. And God tries desperately to stop it. He closed the humans. He separates them from the garden. He sends them a step away from his presence where they can't cause so much damage and let so much chaos in. So they'll stop sinning. They'll get the message, right? No. Then Cain kills Abel and a little bit more chaos leaks back into the world. And it gets worse and worse and worse until the Bible says that God looked upon the hearts of men and saw that they were only evil all the time. And God said, I will erase man whom I have created from the earth because he endangers it, because he lets the chaos in by his sin, because he can't keep the boundaries of creation in place. He can't keep the chaos bound away. But Noah found favor in the eyes of God. So God saves Noah. He he has him create a little cell, a little sanctuary, a little place safe from all the chaos that's about to come back into the world. And then God simply unleashes all the boundaries and lets the chaos flood back in and destroy everything except Noah and his little family and the animals that are on the ark with him, the remnant of creation from which he's going to start again. And he starts again. And it's fixed, right? No. Within a couple of chapters, people are building a tower to try and storm heaven again, to try and equate themselves with God, letting chaos back into the world. And so God has to intervene and and confuse their languages and cast them out to all the corners of the earth where they can't think together and work together again so easily because they keep letting the chaos in. They keep unbinding that which God has bound to keep them safe. Now come to Revelation chapter 19. The devil was bound for a thousand years, a long, long time, and he'll remain there until he's unleashed. Who's going to unleash him? God? I don't think so. I think that people will unleash him because it's what people do. They pick at the cords that bind the danger away from us. They pick at the binding cords until they unravel them. 
just to see what will happen. Just out of curiosity, just out of temptation, they pick away at the things that will destroy them. Got any examples, Kev? Sure. That's easy. I mean, all we have to do is go to what you've come to, to know as my, my pet peeve about this world. All we have to do is go to what you understand, I believe, is the greatest evil in this world. <coughs> Excuse me. All we have to do is look at abortion. Every year, worldwide, an entire holocaust of unborn children are murdered in the womb. In this country alone, where I live, in the United States alone, every year, nearly a million children, every six years a holocaust of unborn children murdered in the womb where they should be safe from chaos. But we've got people who believe it's a right to kill an unborn child and they're in Washington right now, fighting for that right. A person's right to choose what happens to their body. Yes, you've got the right to choose. You had it a long time ago when you chose to make a baby with another person. Now, you can choose what happens to your body, but you have no right to choose what happens to that body. That's overstepping the bounds, but they blur those boundaries. They pick at those cords and they let the murderous chaos back into our world. And every single day in this country, we murder a few hundred unborn children, maybe a few thousand. About eight to 900,000 last year. Divide that by 365 and that's about how many a day. We pick at the threads and let the chaos back in. And, and the examples are myriad. From there, every time a person is killed by violence in this country, someone picks one of the threads loose and a little bit more chaos is freed. The, the dragon is freed a little bit more to influence our world. Every time a person is attacked, mugged, raped, robbed, anytime there's physical violence against someone in this world, <clears throat> we pick at the threads. We have, we have governmental representatives fighting for people's right to loot and burn their neighborhoods and calling it protest. It's not a protest, it's a riot. It's violence. People have been killed many times in those events. And what is it? It's picking at the thread. It's allowing the chaos back into the world. Is it only on the left? No, there's January the 6th. Whoever was in charge of that, it was violence. Whether anybody died directly from it or as an effect of the stress, at least one person got shot. Other people died as an effect of the stress of the event because it's letting the chaos back into our world. <clears throat> anytime somebody cheats on their taxes, anytime somebody defrauds their insurance company by filing a claim they never expect to fulfill, they just want the money. Every time someone cheats a customer out of the proper amount of cash returned, change. A little bit more of the chaos 
creeps back into this world. Every time there's an overdose, every time there's an overdose of heroin or fentanyl, every time there's violence at a border, anywhere in the world, a little bit more of the chaos leaks back into this world. You see how significant it is? If with each of those tiny events, a little bit more of that which binds the dragon out of our world is picked away and, and frayed and unfurled, he is then released by that much more. God didn't release him. I don't believe God would unleash the devil on the world. That's not the nature of God. I believe people will do it and are doing it and do it every day. And that's why this world gets darker and darker and darker. It explains so many things. I've heard people say, if God loved us, why would he allow 9-11 to happen? <clears throat> well, God didn't send 9-11. Did he allow it? He gives people free will. He lets people exercise their free will, even if it's to do evil. And when it is to do evil, that is unleashing a bit of that chaos back into the world. That is freeing the dragon to do his work in this world just a little bit more. Did God send it? No. Did God allow it? Yep. Why? Because if he made us serve him by design, if he, if he made us automatons who would just serve God by design, then it it wouldn't be a choice. It wouldn't be love. Love demands that people get to choose who they give their devotion to, who they give their loyalty to, who they enter into meaningful relationship with. Love demands a choice, and God has to make the choice available. He has to let us have free will over whether we serve him or not, whether we pick at the binding cords of evil or keep our hands off of them and try to keep it at bay. And this world continually proves that it will not keep the evil out. If you're a Christian person, I want you to hear me. It's going to get worse. I understand. Please don't be discouraged. If, if in this current election cycle, you are promoting people with Christian values and Christian ideals to send them into governmental positions, please do. But don't be surprised if, like the people that went before them, they go with Christian values and they get compromised along the way. And a few years from now, you don't even recognize them as the same people because evil eats its own. Evil eats those who seek power from it. Understand that this world is on a journey to falling apart and God's not going to stop it. He's going to let it because ultimately we get to the next, the next story the great white throne, the new Jerusalem, the kingdom of God come to earth. But for that to happen, all of the unraveling has to happen. All of the unleashing of evil has to go ahead and happen. The final battle has to come and evil has to finally and eternally be defeated. But in order for that to happen, it's going to have to be unleashed 
on this earth and on God's people who are here. Right? I don't understand the purpose of people telling some kind of rapture story. Pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib rapture to take God's people away before they have to suffer all the evil. And they reign with him for a thousand years. And then the devil's unleashed. And, and then they have to suffer his evil. Right? See how little sense that makes? That timeline that has been taught to Christian people for a hundred years makes no sense whatsoever. It's not like that. The devil was bound when Christ died on the cross, when he gave up his spirit freely and became sin for our sin and took our place and paid our price. The devil's power was defeated. He was bound at that point. He was thrown away, locked away, powerless, toothless, hornless. But people didn't live in that righteousness and keep him there. They picked at the boundaries. They picked at the lock. They picked at the chain. They pried at the door. And they, little by little, unleashed him. Took about a thousand years. That's why I said history is really interesting because if you look, the Roman Empire lasts until about a thousand AD and then it's gone. And then the Dark Ages come. 1100, 1200, 1300. The Dark Ages where the Catholic Church alone keeps the faith alive through the worst days this world had ever seen. That's not the unleashing of the beast. I don't know what is. He, he was tied up for a long time. The world became nearly a Christian. The known world became a Christian known world. But then it crumbled. <clears throat> and evil threatened to take it all over again. That cycle has happened once since Christ died on the cross and, and met all of these requirements, if you even want to see them chronologically, except the very final resolution, which is what we get to see in the next section. Take heart. Take heart. Evil is immense and getting worse. People are picking at the boundaries of evil all the time and letting more chaos into this world. But take heart because you belong to God. You can see what's going on in this world and you can be wise to it. And you don't have to allow the chaos in your corner with your family. Fight to keep it out. Fight to keep the boundaries at least around your corner between righteousness and unrighteousness, between peace and chaos. Fight to keep your corner free and understand that it's going to get worse before it gets better. We're going to have to live through this story. But then comes the next one, the great white throne and the new Jerusalem.